Hello and welcome to the Career Explorations and Genomic Medicine Research Podcast. This program is sponsored by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Program for Precision Medicine and Healthcare. This Career Explorations program is aimed at undergraduate students. Our goals are to help you expand your knowledge of potential careers related to genomic medicine research. And we hope to increase your understanding of what you will need to do to become a member of the genomic medicine research workforce. We also want to help you build a supportive network of professionals. Each episode of this podcast series presents a conversation with a researcher or clinician who works in a particular aspect of genomic medicine research. Today we are speaking with Will Hanna, MD, who is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Genetics in UNC's School of Medicine. Will sees patients in the Adult and Cancer Genetics Clinic. His research interests include genetic conditions which cause chronic respiratory tract infections. It's nice meeting you all, and, and I appreciate you inviting me to, to be a, a part of this conversation. I, so I'm a, a medical geneticist at UNC, and uh, I work in uh, the Adult and Cancer Genetics Clinic here. So I, uh, the, the main part of my, my job clinically is, is taking care of and, and evaluating patients that uh, potentially uh, have a, a heritable condition. And, uh, and we have uh, a lot of, of referrals for, for really myriad indications. And I'd be glad to talk about, about some of the common indications in more detail if folks are interested. Uh, and we also take care of uh, folks who are in the hospital or, or come in to, to do inpatient consultations if, if the team has, has questions as well. But, uh, but for me, as a, as a clinical geneticist, I, uh, I, I went to medical school after my undergraduate training. And, you know, for, for me, I, I knew I wanted to study genetics, I feel like, before I knew I wanted to be a physician. Uh, I, and when, when I was an undergraduate, I was really fascinated by my, uh, by my genetics courses. And uh, I thought it was, <laughs> I remember thinking, being wide-eyed, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, uh, we have three billion base pairs and if you have a variant in one of them it could be so so deleterious it's not compatible with life if you have a single base pair variant it could also be so advantageous that it can be like the nidus for speciation and, and I, I just I remember my my early courses in genetics and, and my early introduction I just remember being uh very captivated, really interested, and and uh, I had a, a pretty good idea at the time that that I wanted to have a career in, in genetics. Uh, so for me, after my undergraduate year, I um, I spent some time in, in clinical research uh, uh, related to, to genetics and studying the, the genetics of cystic fibrosis, and I uh, <coughs> I would enroll patients during that year and, uh, and kind of had uh, what I would consider to be my, my introduction to, to what um, what clinical research in, in genetics was like. And, and I think as, it was really during that year, I feel like, that I became confident that I wanted to go to medical school, that I wanted to be a physician, and that I wanted to uh, – I wanted to study genetics, but in the capacity of, uh, of a healthcare provider. And so, uh, after medical, during medical school, I, uh, <clears throat> I decided that I, I really was, was most interested in, in taking care of adults and, uh, wanted to 
sort of pursue a career that was at the interface of internal medicine and, and medical genetics. And uh, internal medicine, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of helpful for folks to think of as, as sort of being like a, a general provider for, for adult patients and, uh, and, or being a physician for adults. So I, uh, I, I went to Cleveland, Ohio, um, uh, University Hospitals uh, there in Case Western and I did a five-year program where I, I studied uh, internal medicine and, uh, and medical genetics. Uh, and I came back to North Carolina after that. Some, some individuals who study uh, medical genetics do an additional year of training in, in biochemical genetics, or some people, it's sort of interchangeable with, with metabolism, where we, we look at rare genetic disorders that, that really affect the way that our bodies make and, and use energy. And uh, I, I thought, one, that was, it was an intellectual interest of mine, and I also thought that that, that training would make me a, more well-rounded uh, clinician, and and so I that that was a year of training at, at Duke, and uh, then I guess right at about a year ago, or I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of uh, of being uh, a clinical geneticist here at UNC in Chapel Hill. So that that's kind of the background on on some of my interest and in, in some of my training, um, and kind of what brought me to UNC with the Adult and Cancer Genetics Clinic. Um, I, uh, I I don't know if the folks have specific questions or if it would be helpful to talk about a typical day or the sort of uh, referrals that we get or, or, or what you all would be interested in hearing about. I'm interested in hearing the referrals and day-to-day stuff. Sure. Yeah, so uh, a, a typical clinic day uh, for me is really a, a collaborative well, right, right now during uh, social distancing and the COVID pandemic, we're doing a lot of virtual appointments. But, but in general, what, what clinic usually looks like is is a, a real kind of collaborative clinic where uh, I, I work with the genetic counselor to to help take care of uh, of adult patients that, that are getting referred. Uh, some days, but not all, there there may be an additional genetic counselor that is uh, working with uh, patients being evaluated. Uh, uh, for possible hereditary cancer syndromes. Um, so uh, a lot of our referrals uh, come for, uh, for evaluation, again, of, of possibly having an inherited predisposition to a cancer uh, or having a hereditary cancer syndrome. And, uh, you know, that can, depending on the, uh, on the patient, it, you know, often what, what may make an oncologist or a primary care provider uh, refer these patients, it could be, uh, kind of clusters of, of related cancers in the in one person or in the same family, breast cancer and ovarian cancer, as an example, or or it could be a very early onset of cancer or seeing cancer in multiple generations in the same family. There, there's certain there are certain things that um, that would increase the likelihood of uh, of a person or, or family having a, a hereditary cancer syndrome, and an oncologist and primary care providers, other healthcare providers, are generally uh, aware of uh, of those red flags, so to speak. So, so that that's a relatively common reason for for referral to our clinic, and uh, you know it allows us to take a very thorough personal history and a family history for for the patient, and and provide genetic counseling, and you know determine you know whether or not we think that they would benefit from genetic testing and, and what that right test would be and uh, you, we talk to them about the purpose and 
what it might mean for their own medical care or risk-reducing options or, uh, or surveillance and, and the implications for family. And we talk about the limitations of the test, possible results of the test, and, uh, and ultimately get, get, obtain informed consent and, and help accommodate the test. And, uh, and then those people also would receive post-test counseling for discussion. So that this sorts of, of uh, cancer genetics referrals are, are very common for our group. We, we also see a lot of referrals uh, at, in, in a general adult genetics clinic. There are, uh, there's a wide variety of reasons for referral or consult. Um, we do see a lot of patients with, a question of a possible connective tissue disorder or either a personal or a family history, for instance, of, uh, of uh, aortic aneurysm. Uh, the, the large vessel that carries blood out of the heart uh, is a relatively common uh, reason for referral there or, or hypermobility and, and looking to see whether or not it, it may be explained by a very specific connective tissue condition and, and what that diagnosis you know, would potentially mean for, for recommendations for the patient. Uh, we see some referrals for, for intellectual disability. It could be uh, that there's a constellation of symptoms that one of the healthcare providers has, has noted, and they want to know whether or not there may be one underlying genetic diagnosis that can help tie things together for that person. Uh, there's uh, sometimes we, we get uh, cardiology referrals because, you know, a patient may have uh, a very a poorly explained or, or early onset heart disease or cardiomyopathy or, or maybe an arrhythmia. So uh, uh, these, these are just a, a couple reason, a couple relatively common reasons for referral that, that are coming to the top of, of my head. But, uh, uh, but, but those are some of the, some of the relatively common reasons that we're asked to, to evaluate patients and, and see them. So, but, but the, and then the typical, the typical day then would be, uh, working uh, as a team with, with one of the genetic counselors and oftentimes with a, a resident physician or like a, a physician who's in training or, or a genetic counseling student. We, we have a lot of trainees in our clinic, but uh, it, it'll be uh, uh, seeing patients, collecting a history, doing an exam uh, as a team with, with the counselor and, uh, and then together kind of providing that, that counseling to the patient and, and helping to sort out the right plan for them and whether that means genetic testing and, and making recommendations for the, the referring provider. And I guess we, we usually would start 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and for us, a, a full clinic day would, would run to about uh, mid-afternoon. Would you say the whole team is present during the genetic counseling? Uh, typically, yes. Uh, usually, we're, uh, we're all part of the, uh, the counseling for the patient. Uh, you know, there are, you know, there, there, there's exceptions if, uh, if, if we need to, um, if multiple things need to be done at the same time, maybe, maybe not always, but as a rule of thumb, I think it's very helpful to, to have food counseling uh, with, with, with the, the geneticist and the genetic counselor. I think patients really appreciate that as well. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it, it helps, it helps us to provide, I think, very thorough uh, counseling. And that's, that's typically the system. Now, are, um, or are geneticists often closely involved with the research around these genetic diseases? Yeah, well, oftentimes, yes. I think it really depends on the, the interest of, of a geneticist. And, uh, you know, as, as you guys uh, go through your training and, uh, and, you know, decide what direction you want to go into, I, I think if you, if you were to speak with, 
uh, clinical geneticist, you would see a, uh, a wide range of, of, uh, of research interests. Uh, many clinical geneticists are, you know, entirely clinical and, uh, and uh, almost entirely see patients uh, in the capacity of their job and, and maybe kind of limited in the research that, that they wish to do. Uh, others are, you know, predominantly research-focused clinical geneticists. Uh, and uh, that, that balance, you know, between uh, research interest and, and clinical interest just varies a lot person to person. Uh, the research opportunities, though, are, are very broad in clinical genetics. So you, you know, I have a lot of friends that are uh, that are particularly interested in uh, in one or two kind of classes of, of specific diseases, and that's the focus of their research is is trying to better understand either the uh, natural history of, of that condition and characterize the symptoms and the features, or or uh, better understanding diagnostic studies for that condition or, or, or treatments. Uh, and then some people are, are more interested in uh, maybe not so much specific diseases, but rather the, uh, the application of, of diagnostic studies to, uh, to, to, study, um, to study individuals with suspected genetic, uh, genetic disease. So many, some clinical geneticists would be more, more interested in uh, looking at genomic sequencing, for instance, and its diagnostic yield in, in different patient cohorts. Um, and some clinical geneticists uh, are, are most interested in, in clinical trial work and, and really focus on, uh, on uh, helping to, to bring new treatments to, to specific uh, medical conditions. Um, so it's, uh, uh, in clinical genetics, there are uh, myriad research opportunities. And I, I think that uh, the portion of time that people spend taking care of patients and, and the portion of time they spend uh, doing research is, is really a personal decision and, and it varies a lot from, from provider to provider. Well, I'll ask a question just to keep things moving. Could you tell us about maybe a challenging case that you had um, and what did you do to help resolve that challenge? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, you know, it, one of the one of the nice things about clinical genetics, I feel like, is, is we we do get a lot of uh, very thought provoking uh, cases, and um, and I, I feel like uh, I feel like it's a great opportunity to really try to help people find a, a, a solution or, or an answer to their to their underlying symptoms. But you know, very very often, uh, you know, very often people will have. Uh, complex uh, symptoms that may or, or may not be due to, you know, one, you know, Mendelian genetic explanation. And, uh, and it's difficult when, when you do thorough testing and, and can't find an answer for someone, um, uh, you know, this, this happens all the time, but, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it can be a little bit challenging sorting out how to, uh, uh, how to do what you can to help them moving forward. And, uh, and so I, you know, if, I guess specifically one relatively interesting case without giving too much information was a, you know, were siblings with, uh, with very bad seizures and uh, with uh, the testing, very thorough testing that we did, I couldn't find an explanation. So, I, you know, trying to work with the local providers to, to sort out how to best take care of them and, and recommend recommendations for when to follow up with us because clinical genetics is, you know, a, 
always an evolving, uh, a quickly progressing field, right? And, and the testing that we have available to offer people uh, today may be different in two or three years uh, as either new genes are discovered or, or also as, as new testing modalities uh, are available. So, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's just one recent example, but it's very frequently that, that we, we have patients with really debilitating symptoms that, that could potentially be uh, genetic in the sense of uh, like a, a, a heritable or Mendelian uh, condition, but, but we just were not able to, to find an explanation for them. And, you know, sometimes it's recommending close follow-up with us. Some, you know, sometimes it, it could be working with uh, a research group like the, the Undiagnosis Diseases Network, for instance, that the UDN has a, has a spot, um, has a, a group at Duke. Um, but but I, I would say, Lana, that that's one of the more challenging things for me is sorting out uh, when very thorough testing doesn't yield an answer, but there's still a, a strong possibility of a genetic condition uh, you know, how can I best help that person? To follow up off of that, I know that, like, of course, y'all deal with very difficult cases. Um, and, what, like, what is the mental toll of your job like, and what type of support does your work provide for that? Um, what, what do you mean by what type of support? Uh, I, I don't mean to, to follow up your question with a question. I just want to be sure I, I answer you uh, as best I can. Yeah, in terms of like, um, I'd say, I guess, like counseling support or if they have groups or just, um, and I was speaking to a genetic counselor previously and she said that her biggest form of support is other genetic counselors and she goes and talks directly to them. So just, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, so yeah, I, I think the, the mental toll is probably a very individualized thing, uh, right? So some people, uh, I imagine that, that the, the job is more uh, uh, stressful and demanding and, and maybe emotionally demanding for some people than, than others. But, but certainly uh, uh, clinical medicine is, uh, can, can be very stressful for a number of reasons. You know, it's, you're, it's a kind of a very busy and high stakes uh, environment. And uh, with, um, uh, with clinical medicine, uh, too. Not only is is there at oftentimes very long hours. There's um, a lot of very you know sad cases, obviously, right? And and uh, trying to do your best to take care of folks, but but sometimes knowing that there's not going to be a very good outcome for them. Uh, for me uh, personally, I, I I find a great deal of support by talking to my friends uh, in the field. Uh, some of my very closest friends are uh, working clinical genetics and. Uh, it's uh, been very helpful for me to, to be able to speak with them and with my mentors uh, at, at different times. Uh, I don't, I, I wish that I knew the answer to your question about whether or not there's counseling support for employees at UNC. I, my guess is there probably is, but I, I don't know the answer to that. But no, that, that's a very good question and I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, can you speak briefly on um, what the genetics component of your residency was like? Sure. Yeah. So, so you know, but, but to answer that, I, I think it might be helpful to describe the different um, uh, the different tracks that people take to to become a, a, a medical geneticist. So th there's a, a categorical uh, genetics fellowship uh, that um, 
some people will complete uh, a residency, for instance, in pediatrics or internal medicine or, or OBGYN, and then do a two-year categorical uh, residency program. Uh, and then uh, I'll, and, and one of, there's three geneticists in, in our, our clinic. One of them, uh, Dr. Powell, I believe, did a, a pediatrics residency and then a categorical genetics fellowship, if I'm not mistaken. What, what I did was a combined residency program where uh, rather than doing three years of internal medicine and then a two-year genetics program, I did a five-year program where uh, I spent part of my time in internal medicine, part of my time in, in medical genetics. Uh, and, and that structure is quite different than, uh, than doing a residency in medicine or pediatrics and then doing a fellowship. Uh, I said five years, it's, it's now a four-year program, but, but when I did it, it was just not too many years ago. Years ago. <laughs> so, uh, so for me, I, I spent, uh, my entire first year as a, as a medicine intern and, uh, my second through fourth year, uh, were split kind of 50, 50, roughly, um, the, the time that I spent, uh, as an internal medicine resident and as a genetics resident. And, and then my fifth year was largely protected for research. Um, so, uh, the genetics component, um, when I was, when I was in my combined residency, I, I was really on, on different rotations. So there were times where my primary duty was, uh, was really building, uh, inpatient consults, uh, for every, for the hospital. So if, if, uh, providers had a, a question for the medical genetics team for, for folks who were, were admitted, uh, I would, uh, I would go and, and, do an evaluation, make, make recommendations, uh, you know, after talking to the supervising physician, uh, the supervising geneticist. At times, I was on a, a metabolism rotation, so I would see uh, patients, I would do some inpatient consults, but mainly, but often spend a lot of time seeing patients also who uh, were coming into clinic, either to be evaluated for or to be managed for uh, uh, uh inborn errors of metabolism, these rare genetic conditions that affect how our bodies will make and use energy. Uh, I would spend time on a cancer, on cancer genetics rotations where I would uh, uh, work with uh, uh, providers seeing patients that were referred to be evaluated for either a family history or, or personal history that, uh, that referring providers felt warranted being evaluated for a possible hereditary cancer predisposition syndrome. And, I spent time also in prenatal genetics, um, uh, where we would uh, offer preconception counseling or or counseling to uh, to patients who who were pregnant and and uh, being evaluated for uh, uh, various indications. Uh, and th there were also some subspecialty clinics that I was interested in, like cardiogenetics clinics, uh, neurogenetic clinics, but. Uh, but that's that was really what the genetics component looked like for me. It it, it differed uh, uh, significantly just depending on the rotation that I was on. But uh, but as part of you know well-rounded training, we would uh, sort of rotate between those different clinics and those different rotations. And I think that that's common of other places as well. You know the uh, the in in other training programs, there may be a different uh, proportion of time that's spent with cancer genetics or prenatal genetics uh, or metabolism, for instance. But uh, uh, but it it's uh, typical or, or required really to to have uh, broad training and to have all that exposure in in, uh, in genetics training. 
How would you say um, your work affects your lifestyle? Yeah, that, that's another great question. <laughs> um, you know, I um, for for me, uh, I, I I feel like I have a a very nice work life balance. You know, part of that is um, I think that clinical genetics is a really compatible field for me. Uh, I enjoy what I do. I, I get great gratification out of uh, you know working with patients and my colleagues, but um, but also I you know, make it a priority to, to maintain hobbies and spend time with friends and, and to not be defined by my, by my entirely by my, my occupation. Right. So, um, uh, I would say that, uh, in different fields in medicine, uh, and part of this depends on the individual. I think part of it depends on the field that you choose, but, uh, but in medicine, I, I feel like there are very different, uh, there will be very different answers to, to, to that great question um, in terms of the effect that the job would, would have on, uh, on personal life and, and on work-life balance. Uh, you know, I, in, in training, uh, I would say that, you know, keeping this, this balance between uh, uh, this work-life balance, so to speak, is something that I've worked on over time and I'm still working on and I've gotten better over the years. Um, in, in training, it's, it, I found it much more difficult, partly because I was a new physician. Uh, there's an incredibly steep learning curve. I, I think that we all have learning curves that, that stick with us uh, throughout our careers. But, uh, but when you first start out in training, it's a very steep learning curve and very long hours. And uh, there was a point, uh, and I think this is probably true of, of most, uh, most physicians, you know, there's a point early in, in training that, you know, work-life balances can be a, a real struggle, but, um, but it, it's something that I've gotten uh, uh, better with over the years. And, and I feel, I feel like uh, my job in, in clinical genetics uh, really, you know, allows me to, to have a very gratifying work life and, and also allows me to, to prioritize other things that are important to me outside of work. Uh, I appreciate it. And again, uh, another really good pointed question. I think, I feel like you guys are asking a lot of very important questions that, uh, that show, you know, real thoughtful consideration to different career paths. That's, that's great. Uh, we have a question from Tyquasia. Uh, what are some experiences or certifications should someone pursuing a clinical genetics career obtain during undergrad? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to practice clinical genetics, if uh, if you wanted to do so as as a um, as a physician, uh, as a clinical geneticist, then uh, a lot of that preparation as an undergraduate would be general preparation uh, for for medical school admission. Uh, you know, alternatively, people uh, you know, obviously, genetic counselors provide uh, or, or healthcare providers in the field that that provide really. Uh, through counseling and care for, for patients being referred for genetic evaluation. And then there are nurse practitioners and, and physician assistants also that, uh, that choose to, to work in the field of, of clinical genetics. Uh, so a lot of the, the preparation as an undergraduate would, uh, uh, would be um, looking forward to, to the graduate or the professional school that would allow you to practice in the capacity that you think would be the best fit for you. So you know, if it were to, to work in, as a clinical geneticist, uh, as a physician, then a lot of the undergraduate work would, would really be uh, working with mentors and, and 
pre-health advisors, uh, you know, in terms of uh, what's needed to get kind of general uh, preparation to, 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 you know, consider whether or not clinical medicine is the right field for me and, and you know, getting into to medical school, preparing uh, academically and, and professionally. Uh, in terms of other things that, that you know, potentially could help, I, I, for me, it's and uh, thinking about how compatible different jobs are uh, for, for an individual, you know, sometimes it's tough to, to make a really informed decision, right? Like so, sometimes it can be difficult to really understand what the uh, day-to-day lifestyle is like and, and, you know, what the great parts and the challenging parts of a certain job are without uh, actually – being there and being in the moment and, and, and working. Um, yeah, to, to an extent, I think that shadowing can help that. And, you know, I would say if, if there are opportunities where you are to, to work with geneticists or genetic counselors and, uh, and, uh, as, or well shadow with them rather, uh, in clinic and, uh, you know, I think additional questions, uh, would probably come up over time and, uh, you know, you'd have, have someone that you could, uh, can bounce ideas off of and, and see what, what a typical clinic's like for them in person. You know, I think that that can be really helpful. And in terms of preparing academically for clinical genetics, I, you know, I think a strong foundation in, uh, in, in, in general Mendelian genetics and, and biochemistry never, never hurts. And then Anjali posted a question. Uh, what other professionals do you usually collaborate with? And so I work the, the most closely with uh, with the other geneticists uh, in my group and the genetic counselors in, in my group uh, and uh, and the the folks that, that provide us with administrative support and, and other support uh, and then outside of our the the team and our genetics group um, m- many genetics groups also would work with a uh, a, a dietitian uh, as well I, I should say so. If, uh, if folks are taking care of patients with inborn errors and metabolism over time, it's very important to have a dietitian as part of that team. Uh, so uh, although we don't uh, have a dietitian with, with our clinic, uh, many genetics groups do. And then the collaborators outside of, of the genetics team will, uh, uh, gosh, all, all sorts of medical providers. So we, we get a lot of referrals from oncologists for, for our cancer genetics clinics, uh, a lot of referrals from uh from primary care providers as well. Um, and uh, oftentimes, especially uh, pediatric genetics groups will get a lot of referrals from pediatricians. And uh, and we, we get a number of referrals with our group also from uh, obstetrician gynecologists uh, uh, as, as well. But um, you know, gen- genetic uh, conditions can, uh, can affect so many different uh, systems in the body and, and can present in such uh, such varied ways that you know we we work with gosh just about any subspecialty that that you could think of I'm, I'm sure we've, we've worked with before yeah and and uh, both getting referrals from them and making recommendations for how to, to continue to, to take care of the patients over time so rheumatology gastroenterology hematology uh, cardiology yeah dermatology yeah so it's 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 really nice uh you uh uh it's nice to to have those sort of networking opportunities and to get to know folks that work in such different parts of the hospital 
Um, I have a question towards um, medical school. I don't know a lot about medical school, so I don't know if this is a dumb question to ask. But um, would you, when you're looking for a medical school and you know you want to be like a clinical geneticist, do you need to look for a specific program that's specialized in that or? You know, I, I don't think so. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I guess one thing to say is, uh, you know, when, when people decide that they want to be a physician, I think um, I may have been a little bit unusual uh, in that I, I knew going into medical school that I, I really wanted to study genetics and, and, and had that very persistent uh, interest over time. Uh, I, I think many people go to medical school not, not knowing what they want to specialize in. They make uh, as thoughtful and as informed an opinion as they can about whether or not uh, they would uh, – be happy working as a clinician, as a physician, and uh, and uh, many people will go to medical school and uh, and uh, be kind of an undifferentiated medical student, so to speak, and uh, and decide uh, more specifically what they want to do uh, as as they learn more about medicine and have clinical rotations and rotate with different groups. Um, the uh, you know I I don't. You know, honestly, I don't know that I've spoken to many of my friends about who are in clinical genetics about whether or not they knew they wanted to be a geneticist going into to medical school. But your your question is really insightful, and I, I may I may ask them that now. But uh, uh, but no, I don't I don't think that I think the focus in medical school is getting a, a well rounded uh, uh, foundation of clinical knowledge that allows you to be a, a very good physician. It's uh, it's really in, in uh, residency or, or fellowship training where you uh, would would learn the, the skill set needed to be a uh, to be a clinical geneticist if, if that's the the direction someone went in. Uh, that that said, uh, you know, as folks in medical school sort out uh, exactly how they want to specialize and and what kind of uh, medicine they'd like to practice, uh, you know, doing rotations and uh, can certainly be helpful and. and a lot of many medical students who have an interest in clinical genetics would, would seek out uh, opportunities to, to do uh, clinical rotations. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Will, what do you see as one of the greatest challenges in your field? Yeah, I think, uh, I would say uh, one of the big challenges uh, is, is, uh, is, Kind of bringing novel treatments to the bedside for rare genetic disorders, right? And and we uh, uh, some genetic disorders do have very good treatments, and and many of those are you know within the realm of inborn metabolic diseases, these conditions that affect how how we again make and use energy. Uh, but um, uh, but uh, you know we're really beginning to see uh, novel treatments for for other other sort of uh, rare genetic disorders, and it's really gratifying. You know, I think uh, the importance of, uh, of clinical trials and collaborations to, uh, to bring new, new treatments to, to rare genetic conditions is, uh, is obviously really important, and, and the work that's being done is very uh, gratifying, I think. So as, as a geneticist, for instance, I, I, I was very excited, you know, not, I guess a few years ago now when uh, Spinraza, you know, became available for, for patients with spinal muscular atrophy and uh, and learning more about what the outcomes for those children uh, who uh, have historically you know been, been given a very difficult uh, 
diagnosis, learning more about what the outcomes for them may be with, with novel treatment opportunities and, uh, and, you know, just as, as one example, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's one of the, uh, great challenges and opportunities for clinical genetics, Lana, is, is, uh, finding novel therapeutics for rare disease, just as, as one example. So thinking about the patients that you usually see, how much of your patient interaction is somebody who comes and you give them a diagnosis and then they go back to their primary care provider for the treatment of the condition versus how many um, patients have a genetic condition that is actively managed by a geneticist? Yeah. So in, in our clinic uh, with uh, Dr. Berg and Dr. Powell, the, the adult and cancer genetics clinic, uh, the large majority of our patients are referred to us for a diagnostic evaluation and, and for initial recommendations, and, and we make recommendations to the referring providers. Uh, that, that's the majority of patients. Uh, there are certainly uh, many patients with genetic conditions that are, are followed uh, longitudinally over time by, by clinical geneticists. And, uh, uh, you know, one, one example would, would be folks that have metabolic disease. Uh, that's where their treatment in, in labs are actively, um, the labs are actively monitored and treatment is, is actively uh, uh, followed by, by a geneticist as one of the, the real primary people. So you know, I think it, the, the, for, the answer is, is for, for us, the, the majority are diagnostic evaluations with recommendations made to the referring provider. Uh, but uh, that, uh, that balance would, would change depending on uh, the types of, of patients that different geneticists see. So mm -hmm. in a metabolic clinic, it may you know, be that the majority of folks uh, that are seen any given day are, are followed over a long period of time. Did you say that you did a um, genetics rotation during your clinical years in medical school? So when I was in medical school, I, um, I did a lot of work uh, in genetic research. I did not specifically do a clinical genetics uh, rotation, I don't believe, as a medical student. I, in hindsight, I, I wish that I had. I, I, did, uh, I did, you know, shadow in genetics clinic and, uh, and, and did have clinical exposure to, uh, to genetics as a medical student. Uh, and it was really uh, helpful, I think, for me. You know, I, I did so in the capacity of a cancer genetics clinic, adult genetics. Uh, I shadowed some in a prenatal genetics uh, clinic as well. But um, I don't believe I actually did a, a, a formal graded rotation. It, it probably would have been a good idea, but, uh, but I didn't. Uh, many medical students do, and, and I think that it can sure be helpful. I think, uh, to me, uh, doing rotations as a, a, a medical student, a lot of it's obviously about education and, and learning the skill set and, and getting that background. But you know, I think that it can also be helpful in career exploration and, and sorting out uh, how compatible uh, different areas of medicine are for, for someone's interest and, and personality and goals. So uh, uh, I, I had a pretty pretty good idea as a medical student that, that I wanted to study clinical genetics. And so I did some, uh, uh, I did, uh, had some exposure to a variety of clinics, but for me, it wasn't really in the capacity of a formal rotation. But again, I think it's a good idea for folks to do if they have that interest. Do you do a lot of um, collaborations with gen um, geneticists and genetic counselors from like other places besides your immediate like work group? Yeah. 
Um, clinically, not, not, not really. No, um, you know, for, for patients that, that, that we see clinically, um, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be all that usual unless someone was moving from, from one location to another for them to be followed by, by multiple, uh, clinical geneticists. Uh, now I, I do get messages from, uh, uh, I've gotten messages from friends because they have patients that are moving to the area and they're looking to, to find uh, a, a, a genetics provider for them. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I guess an exception to that might be if, uh, uh, if you have a patient that uh, might be, you know, particularly well suited by someone else's expertise or, or the undiagnosed diseases program or, or some, uh, specific reason to uh to reach out and to to be seen by another person uh you know that that certainly is you know something that that comes up from time to time but but usually folks are only followed by by one clinical geneticist uh, and is kind of what i found now i, I do uh I, I talk very often with uh friends at, at other hospitals and, and with other genetics groups um uh and you know we bounce ideas off of each other and uh and and uh, you know, I, I have, I've had journal clubs with, with friends from other places as well. So I, I definitely have a, a you know, clinical genetics uh, conversations and discourse with, with other folks, but, but for the care of individual patients, um, uh, typically they're seen by, by one provider, by one geneticist rather. If, if that was the, did, did that answer your question? Yes. Thank yeah. you. Sure. You know, I, I, I should uh, say that uh, sometimes there is uh, co-managed care of patients in genetics. Uh, uh, it doesn't, not, not something that, um, so, so some geneticists, for instance, will uh, uh, specialize in, uh, in one specific area or, or disease process and, and really uh, obtain a deep, a deep expertise and and so uh, there there are examples where uh, uh, local geneticists may take care of a patient and then uh, have them seen periodically by by the expert in, in that field uh, and, and they co-manage the patient together so that for one example of that would be uh, uh, there's a, a heart and muscle disease called Pompe's syndrome where uh, providers at Duke have developed a really deep-seated uh, uh, interest and, and expertise in helping those patients. So, uh, so patients from all over the country will, uh, will be referred and, and come, uh, you know, from time to time to be seen at Duke, uh, but then be taken care of, uh, also by local geneticists. So there, there, I, I should uh, take a step back and say that there, there certainly are examples where patients are co-managed and with uh, collaboration between clinical geneticists at, at different sites. Okay. Thank you. We have a question from Tyquasia, who's uh, kind of asking about the impact of COVID-19 yeah. <laughs> transitioning to telemedicine and how has that transition been? And do you think that's the future for um, connecting with your patients? Yeah, and that's a, a great, uh, great question. Um, so it's had a pretty profound impact on us in, in the short term. Um, you know, we're, we're doing virtual, almost all of our encounters we're doing uh, by telemedicine, either by telephone or by, by video appointments right now. Um, and, uh, 
it, uh, you know, it, working from home is, is very different. I was talking with one of my colleagues last night and I mentioned how much I miss just being able to, uh, uh, to, to have in-person conversations and discussions, uh, rather than, you know, all the telephone and zoom meetings. So it's, it's changed the flow of things a great deal for us in genetics. You know, we, we are doing almost, uh, all telemedicine appointments now. Uh, I do think we're able to, in general, provide very good care for patients uh, by telemedicine. You know, the, there are obvious limitations, and, and one of them is, uh, is I think it's pretty tough to do a very good physical exam by video. But uh, I, um, I, you know, it's it's tough to know what the new normal is going to look like, and, and I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I, uh, I don't know if there will be more telemedicine appointments in the future. Certainly, there are certain uh, certain appointments or reasons for referral that would be more conducive to, to video or telephone than, than others. Uh, uh, if someone's being referred for a reason where a, a physical exam would be very helpful, for instance, in, in evaluating them or, or even necessary, then uh, uh, then you know there there will always be importance for certain referrals to, to having an in-person appointment. But, uh, but no, your, your question's a great one. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of speculate a little bit with my friends about what the new normal is going to look like um, and, you know, whether or not there will be more video encounters. But uh, I, I just, um, I wish I knew. That's a great question. So also thinking about the future, um, what what do you see coming down the pike in the next five to 10 years that you think will be transformative in the field of medical genetics? Yeah, you know, I think what will be transformative, I think, for, for some individual conditions will be will be novel treatments and, and clinical trials, I think. Um, to, to me, thinking about the five-year scope uh, or 10-year scope, I, I that, that's what I would imagine as, as most transformative. You know, we, uh, and we, we, we there certainly have, have been uh, huge strides in, in, uh, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years with, with diagnostic testing, right, and with sequencing availability and microarray and exome sequencing and the way that we're able to, to provide folks with an underlying molecular genetic diagnosis. Uh, uh, and, and not to mention advancements in, in newborn screening that's really changed the, the course of specific diseases. I think if I'm looking at the, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of guessing a little bit or speculating about what's going to be most transformative, but uh, you know, when I, you, you think about the recent years in, in Spinraza, for instance, and, and learning about the effect that that medication is going to have on, you know, for spinal muscular atrophy and learning, you know, what the, the natural history or the natural course is going to be for, for these patients with, with novel, a novel treatment. I, I think I, my hope is, and my thought is the next 10 years, we'll see uh, novel therapeutics for, for other genetic conditions that will uh, hopefully change the, the course of disease for the better. Um, that's my thought about what, what may be the most transformative in the five to 10 year range. Do you all do any um, advocacy in terms of like, um, I guess, insurance coverage for some of these novel treatments? Because I know, I think I heard about Spinraza when it came out, and this was before I knew about much of this, but I just remember hearing about how expensive it was. Yeah, so for, for that medication specifically, I've never prescribed it before, but but certainly for uh, when 
uh, geneticists are uh, prescribing specific uh, medications for genetic conditions, um, uh, then, then yes, there are times where they need to uh, reach out to insurance companies and, uh, and, and get authorization. And, and the same can be true also for prior authorization for uh, genetic testing. I, what, what I've found over time is that individual labs that are doing the diagnostic testing are, are I think, providing more and more support for working with insurance and, and sorting out, you know, the, uh, uh, the coverage that patients will get. But, but the answer is yes. Uh, they're, for geneticists that are prescribing medications, oftentimes they'll uh, need to work with insurance companies for authorization and coverage and, and at times also for diagnostic testing. These are really good, thoughtful questions, guys. I'm, I'm, I've really, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the conversation. I have one more question. Um, do you do any clinical trial work? I do not. Uh, I don't. Uh, there are uh, geneticists at UNC who do, and, and many of my mentors in, in Cleveland and at Duke where I trained uh, are very active in, in clinical trial work, uh, but, uh, but uh, I'm not actively involved in, in clinical trials, no. Is there any additional training that someone would need to have to do that? Uh, there, there's no, uh, to my not, not any formal training that would be required to, to work in, in clinical trials. A, a lot of my friends who work in clinical trials uh, learned a lot from uh, from their their mentors and and research and uh, and and kind of the background that they got as as either as trainees or as as young faculty members, but. Uh, uh, whether or not there are specific uh, programs that that help uh, teach people the the fundamentals of of uh, working in clinical trials, I, I don't know the answer to that. The folks that I have known that work in clinical trials say that there's not a formal training procedure. It's more like an apprenticeship where you join a study that someone else has already got up and running, and you learn by doing. Yeah. Okay. And then you would gain the experience to later on, you know, be the, the be your own investigator in a clinical trial. And that's definitely been the experience that my friends have had that who work in clinical trials. Okay, thank you. Either learning the skills as a young faculty or, or as a house staff or trainee. We'd like to thank Dr. Will Hanna for joining us today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and expertise and experience. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me. And you know, if any uh, any questions come up or if I can be of help, uh, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. All right. Please join me in thanking Dr. Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs>